Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. It finished at Anfield, Liverpool 3, Arsenal 1. We're going to be looking back at that game and we're going to be taking your questions uh, on the fixture as well as some of your comments. Uh, yeah, we're live. Hello, good morning and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. It's really bloody early today, um, but given the fact that I've got a really busy day in front of me, I wanted to get this out as soon as possible so that you guys can listen to it on your way to work, um, on your lunch break or, or when you're bored at work, whatever suits. Um, but wanted to get this content out as soon as possible because later on today, we're going to save the later spot uh, for when I'll be joined by my brilliant guest, Adrian Clark, who returns to the Chronicles of Aguna this evening. So we'll be getting Adrian's take on the game at Liverpool later on. So I wanted to share mine uh, this morning. And am I disappointed that we lost to Anfield? Yeah, I am. Um, should I be? Maybe not, uh, given sort of how superior Liverpool have been to us in recent seasons. Am I frustrated? Yes. Um, and for a number of reasons. We're going to come on to talk about sort of a, a bit of the tactical battle between Jurgen Klopp and Mikel Arteta because there was a lot uh, to sort of discuss. There was a lot that went on um, from a tactical perspective that ultimately shaped the direction in which the game went. But I want to begin by having a little bit of a rant. And you guys who watch this channel and listen to this podcast regularly will know that I don't do that every week. It's got to be something that really gets under my skin for me to go off on one the way I'm about to. And I was really, really disappointed once again with the standard of the officiating. Now, people talk about the Premier League being the best football league in the world and it's the best product and it's the best brand. How can that be when we've got such a bunch of incompetent, useless officials we see game after game after game in this division ruined spoiled killed by referees and officials that just simply cannot do their jobs properly and you know I always try and look at what Arsenal did wrong what Arsenal let themselves down with what Arsenal's shortcomings were before I point fingers at officials but it's getting harder and harder to do that because week in, week out, we're seeing joke decisions up and down the country, not just involving Arsenal. There was one involving Spurs on Sunday. And, you know, I'm no Spurs fan, for God's sake, but even I had some sympathy for that decision because it was completely wrong. Now, we started the game at Anfield and, you know, first of all, we're already the massive underdogs. We're playing the Premier League champions away from home. We had a dreadful record at Anfield. We have a dreadful record away against most of the top six, if not all of the top six or the big six, as they're called. So it was always going to be a difficult task, but it was a task made incredibly harder by the fact that Sadio Mane, somehow having committed GBH in the early stages of the game, has got away with a yellow card. Why is that a yellow card? He's gone leading in with his elbow and he has smashed the guy. He smashed Kieran Tierney in the face and put the guy on the floor. But apparently, 
That is not a red card. Next week, though, that will be a red card. And that's what drives me fucking crazy. Excuse my language. But it's just it, it just feels like, what do you have to do to win a game against Liverpool, to win a game against Manchester United? I'll tell you what you have to do. You have to be brilliant and you have to be extra brilliant to compensate for the crap that you get from the referees, from the incompetent officials. Sadio Mane should be sent off after three minutes. There's no question about that in my mind. Yet Sadio Mane gets away with it. Sadio Mane scores the equaliser. Sadio Mane causes Arsenal problems throughout the game. It's, it's things like that that VAR was brought in to deal with. Now, how anybody has watched that and decided that Sadio Mane hasn't elbowed Kieran Tierney in the face it, it is beyond me. What's the explanation? What has he done? I've seen some Liverpool fans say that he was putting his arm out to feel where Tierney was. That's how he protects the ball. That's how he shields the ball. Put your bloody hand out like this. Not your elbow. That's a red card. It's a disgusting challenge. And Liverpool have gotten away with it. Add to that, their third goal was involved a handball. And I say involved a handball because... This has been the weekend of, of handballs where any contact on the arm seems to be pulled up, um, penalised. Yet Diogo Jota is able to control the ball with his arm and put the ball in the back of the net and ultimately put the game beyond doubt. It's hard enough going to Anfield and winning. It's hard enough going to Anfield and keeping up with them. It's hard enough going to Anfield and getting a result when the playing field is level, but when you're going there and you're having to contend against referees as well as a very strong opponent, then it becomes near on impossible. Now, I don't want to spend too long on the referee and stuff because it winds me up. It boils my blood and it's just not healthy, but you can tell sort of my feelings on that. I think it's it's horrible. Um, I think that it's, the most frustrating thing in football. You know, you can come away from a game and say, we didn't play very well. And we didn't play very well. And I'll come on to the performance and some of the elements of that in just a second. But when you come away from a game with an extra bad taste in your mouth because a referee, an official, has failed to do their job correctly, it makes it that little bit more difficult to get over. And, and that's partly why I'm not, majorly disappointed in what Arsenal did last night because I do feel like everything was against them on the night. Let's um let's start off by discussing the starting 11. Um and there were a couple of question marks with Mikel Arteta's starting 11 just going to share it on the screen for those of you watching us on YouTube. So uh let me just scroll a little bit so you can see that fully. Um there you go. So just quickly run through the Liverpool team. It was Alisson in goal, Alexander-Arnold, Gomez, Van Dijk, Robertson, Keita, Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Salah, Firmino and Mane. And on the Arsenal side, it was Bern Leno in goal. I think we all expected that. This was the interesting bit, though, for me, the central defensive selection. Of course, Gabriel has come in. Gabriel has been pretty good every time he's played so far. It has to be said. However, the fact he is left-footed, I think, has, has cost him a place in this starting eleven. Mikel Arteta made a massive point about the fact that he wanted um, he wanted players playing on the right side of the defence 
or the right side to depending on which foot they kick with because that is key to the way that we try and, and, and play out from the back. He brought David Lewis back in the side, which I said to you guys in the pre-match live, I expected him to do. Uh, Kieran Tierney came back in the side. He's been pretty much excellent every time he's played. Um, wasn't amazing last night, but I'll come on to that in a bit. Rob Holding was given the nod on the right. Now, Mikel Arteta's reluctance to play, you know, a player with a left foot on the right side of the defence, I think is justified in some ways because, as I said, I think it does make it more difficult to play out from the back um, when you're on your wrong side and, and the angles are, are different and you'll be forced to play the ball inside sometimes when actually the plan is to play it outside. So, yeah, I, I do think that would have had some impact and I do think that is why uh, Gabriel hasn't started. He's very unfortunate. He's very unlucky. Um, but we saw again, didn't we, that Rob Holding is just simply not up to it. I've said it before. I'll say it. I'll say it again. I would rather have Shkodran Mustafi at right centre back than Rob Holding. I know he's not fit, and that's not possible at the moment. And I know a lot of fans dislike the guy and think he's crap, and and you know give him a lot of stick. And at times he's deserved that. But I still think he's a more competent defender. I still think he's more competent on the ball, and I still think he gives you more than Rob Holding does. Wing-backs were as I expected in the build-up. Hector Bellerin on the right, Ainsley Maitland-Niles on the left. Again, not Ainsley Maitland-Niles' best game in an Arsenal shirt. Again, I didn't think. Um, we spoke about him dealing with Mohamed Salah in previous games, how he was almost his shadow keeping up with him when Salah was cutting in on that left foot tee and he was always there. Uh, sorry, Maitland-Niles was always there to deal with it with his right foot and that was why it suited him playing in that position. But we didn't see much of that um, last night. Maitland-Niles struggled, I felt, at times. Um, tried to get involved in the midfield a little bit more at times, but didn't really have an impact on the game whatsoever. In the middle of the park, it was Granit Xhaka and Mohamed Elneny. Now, a lot of people questioned uh, this when the team news came out. Why wasn't Danny Sabas included? I think most of us... Despite what you think about Granit Xhaka, he's been very, very good under Mikel Arteta. This is the first game in a long time that I remember looking at Granit Xhaka and thinking, mm, you didn't you didn't deliver tonight, you didn't perform. Um, but the, the, the big question mark, as I said, was the inclusion of Mohamed Elneny over Danny Sabas. Now, I understand why Mikel did it. Mikel, in his mind, thinks that we need a, a protective shield in front of the defence. And Mohamed Elneny's that little bit more disciplined. He's probably physically a bit more imposing than Danny Ceballos. The problem with doing what we did was that the ball progression just wasn't there. It simply wasn't there with Mohamed Elneny. Um, you know, and you saw when Danny Ceballos came on late in the game, that Arsenal actually looked a lot better. They were able to bring the ball out of the defence. He was drawing fouls off people. He played some wonderful passes in, put a couple of uh, chances on the plate for some of our forwards. Did really, really well, Sabas, when he came on. So uh, I think in hindsight, it was wrong to pick Elneny ahead of him. But I understand the logic behind it. It's not saying I agree with it. It's not saying it was right. I, I just, I always try to think when I'm trying to criticise or, or, you know, pick holes in what somebody did, I always try and think about why they did it and, and whether the reason they probably did it and the logic behind it actually makes sense. And if it does, then you're a little bit more, I guess, tolerant of it. And I do think that the logic of playing Elneny, 
You know, we saw him play in the Community Shield. Yes, it was a glorified friendly, but he did do a really good job screening that midfield. And of course, the front three was Aubameyang, Lacazette, Willian. Didn't think Willian had a great game. Didn't think Aubameyang had a great game either. But in fairness to the pair of them, they were just constantly being pegged back and forced back um, by Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, who kept on coming forward. Now, yes, Aubameyang and Willian were not expected to come all the way back to the edge of their penalty area. That is what the wing-backs are for. Um, but it did hinder them in the sense of their position was very uh, deep when they were starting. Um, and they were completely starved of service throughout this game. So a bit of sympathy for the pair of them. Um, I've seen some people on Twitter having a go at Aubameyang. Um, you know, why did we give him that massive contract? He can't con dominate a game by himself. He can't control a game, influence a game by himself. Uh, you know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is what he is. He's a very, very good striker when you provide him with the service. We all know that. He's not Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not Lionel Messi. He's not going to pick up the ball on the halfway line and go past five or six players before putting it into the roof of the net. That isn't Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's game. Willian, um, not, you know, he's played, what, three times now for Arsenal? Not, again, not great on the night. Um, we'll come on to the goals in a minute. I thought he was slightly at fault for the, the Liverpool second. So we'll talk about that. Um, as well in a second but yeah not his greatest performance and Alexander Lacazette well you simply cannot waste opportunities like the one that Alexander Lacazette wasted at Anfield you, you you don't get them often and when they come along you've got to take them now there was a an incident slightly earlier where Lacazette was played through and I think if I'm not mistaken because obviously when you're watching the game on TV you can only see what the TV is showing you so you know, my natural instinct in a moment like that is to glance over at the linesman and, and see if his flag's gone up. Nowadays, we don't even get to see that because we've got to wait for the, the, the opportunity, the chance to play out before we see the flag go up from fear of them getting it wrong. I'm pretty sure that the flag did go up after he missed, um, but we didn't actually see a replay of him breaking through there. Um, well, I, I don't remember one anyway to tell me whether he was on or offside. The second one, however, he certainly was onside. He was miles onside. It was Trent Alexander-Arnold, actually, that played him on. And you saw instantly when the ball went through, Virgil van Dijk just lost his shit at Alexander-Arnold. He really went in on him and, and told him about himself because he was slack and he allowed Lacazette in. And at that point, you know, Lacazette, I feel like he gets caught in two minds. And, and this is the problem with Lacazette. It's the, the consistency. It just isn't there. Um, it just isn't there in front of goal. And we were talking about it during the live watch along last night that actually Lacazette is someone who probably is a little bit more effective in those instinctive situations when he hasn't got time to think, when he hasn't got time to, to you know, get sort of caught up on, on whether to go right, whether to go left, when the ball falls to him and he puts his foot through it. That is when Lacazette is at his best. Felt like he had too much time. You know, it sounds stupid to say because having lots of time should be to the striker's benefit. But there are some players who just, they freeze in those moments. And he took that first touch sort of slightly to the right. And you're thinking, what's he trying to do here? Is he trying to open the angle up to go back across the goal because Allison's come out? Is he going to take the touch and try and go round Allison? But then the first touch wasn't probably good enough to do that. He just seemed to get caught in two minds and 
um, Todd Smith in the in the chat. He says um, he says that the flag did go up on the first one. Yeah, um, I, I thought it did as well. But to go through and to try that ridiculous chip that he tried um, in a game of that magnitude at Anfield is just it makes you want to smash your head against the brick wall. And and I do honestly believe that had Pierre Emerick Aubameyang been on the end of either of those two chances, the ball would have been in the back of the net. And this is the thing, isn't it? Like we talk about what Lacazette gives to the side. We talk about him, um, you know, with his link-up play, with his work rate. I didn't think the work rate was there yesterday from Lacazette. Not like it has been in, in recent performances. I didn't think um, his link-up play was very good. Granted, though, um, you know, Arsenal were, were starved of possession and not really able to build much. I have another criticism of Lacazette, though, yesterday. And I don't know if this is something I should be labelling or pointing or directing at Lacazette or if it should be directed at Mikel Arteta. But I'm going to make this point anyway. And I, I want to get this point out there and then get it done because it feels like I am just sitting here moaning about Lacazette. That's not the case. There were other issues in the team, which we'll come on to. But when you play against a side like Liverpool, who play with a back four, and they're able to play with a back four because of the calibre of defender that they have. Virgil van Dijk is an absolute rock. Mikel Arteta said it in his um, in his post-match interview as well. It's very hard to press Virgil van Dijk when he's capable of playing a 60-yard pass. And Arteta went like this, didn't he? Onto the chest of one of his wingers. And that's absolutely right. But Liverpool play with a back four. And what the back four means is that they have that extra body in midfield. So Liverpool have the three, Arsenal have the two. And that was a major, major problem for us throughout because where the, the pivot, the Arsenal pivot of Xhaka and Elneny is trying to keep tabs on the, the, the two midfielders of Liverpool, there is a third one with whom you have to deal with, with whom you have to contend with. And in the first half in particular, that was Naby Keita. Naby Keita kept picking up the ball, kept getting into that half space slightly to the right-hand side and, and creating that overload, being an extra body and causing Arsenal all kinds of problems. That first 45 minutes was probably as good as I've seen Naby Keita play in a Liverpool shirt. He was really, really effective, um, constantly creating that overload, getting in those positions, making it impossible for Arsenal to live with him and allowing Trent to get forward, allowing Salah to drift in field. It was it was a feature of Liverpool's performance, particularly in the first half. And Arsenal just never dealt with it. They never dealt with it. And when I watch a game and you can see something like that unfolding in front of your eyes, you do wonder sometimes why it's not being picked up on, why it's not being dealt with. What I'd have liked to have seen happen, and this was mentioned by Cam Megan, who's from Total Football Analysis, and joined me um, for the live watch along last night. Cam made this point, and it is a great point, so I want to share it with you guys. What he would have liked to have seen, and this guy's a Liverpool fan, by the way, but he was obviously watching the game, um, delivering as as impartial an analysis as he possibly could. His view was that Lacazette should have been dropping deeper into that kind of number 10 role when Arsenal didn't have the ball. And we have seen him do that in, in some recent performances. And so it makes it even more confusing as to why it didn't happen yesterday. But his view was very much that Lacazette should be dropping deeper and placing himself on Fabinho, who was the deepest lying midfielder in that Liverpool team. What that does by taking Fabinho out as an option is it means that Xhaka and Elneny can then just concentrate on the other two. And that was Vinaldum and Keita. And 
by not doing that, you're constantly allowing the Arsenal midfield now to have to deal with an overload. And that overload is always going to be problematic. It doesn't matter at what level of football you play, um, at what level of football you are. If you have an extra body, when you're trying to create angles, passing options, you have a massive advantage. And Arsenal just allowed that to happen over and over and over and over again. Now, there are positives from this game. So I, I don't want this to be construed as just one long moan. I'm getting the negatives out of the way so that I can talk about the positives and finish on a, on a good note. Because there were um, some positives. There were a few. And I'm going to come on to those in a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the point about the midfield and, and the issue there. The other issue that I've seen a lot of people sort of raising and, and complaining about and being upset about was Arsenal's desire to play out from the back. We know Arsenal are going to play like this under Mikel Arteta. And, you know, that's how we scored in the, the semi-final of the FA Cup. It's how we carved open Chelsea in the final. It's how we carved open Liverpool in the Community Shield. It's how we got our goal last night. So there is some method to that. There is a purpose for that. It does work. It is something that when you get it right, it is very, very effective, particularly against the side like Liverpool who are going to come and they're going to press you. You've got the ball at your goalkeeper's feet, at your centre-back's feet. Teams like Liverpool who are proactive in their press, they will come and they will close you down and then there are opportunities if you can play around the press, over the press, however you want to do it you will then get joy. You will find situations where you isolate their defenders, where you have overloads and you can create problems. Now, the problem was last night that some of the passing wasn't accurate. Um, some of the the decisions were rash. The, the, the players on the ball in those particular positions were indecisive. And I don't want to point fingers at any one particular individual. I thought that Bern Leno gave the ball away stupidly on a few occasions. There was one that springs to mind where he played this ball out to the left towards Kieran T and he was right on the touchline. It was just a nonsense ball. Um, it went out for a Liverpool throw. David Lewis played one to the edge of the box. I think he was looking for Maitland-Niles. That was poor as well. Rob Holding gave the ball in, uh, away inside when he had the task of playing a simple pass and he failed. So all of them were guilty of it. We've seen Arsenal do it on other occasions and do it a lot more effectively and do it a lot more confidently and a lot more efficiently. The problem is against the team of Liverpool's quality, you can't afford to be off the boil. We spoke about it in the watchalog. This is very high risk football, but there is a very high reward when it comes off. And the reward is that you get those overloads like we saw um, for the, the Lacazette opener and you can take advantage of those. So, I understand that the method behind it, but we just don't have the right personnel at the minute to do that. That's not to say that I think Mikel Arteta should abandon it. There are going to be very few teams who press as well, as proactively as Liverpool do. Now, if you're talking about, you know, take Spurs, for example. Jose Mourinho is a completely different manager to Jurgen Klopp. Jose Mourinho would sit there and say, let them have the ball there. Don't worry about it. Just sit on the halfway line. And it's, the onus is on them to break us down. And that's been where Arsenal have had problems. We saw it in the North London derby at the back end of last season. Arsenal were forced to try and break Spurs down while Spurs just soaked up that pressure 
um, and, and didn't really press proactively. So there are going to be times where you come up against that approach. There are going to be times when you come up against Jurgen Klopp's approach. But when you do come up against Jurgen Klopp's approach, against a team of so many talented individuals, against a team who are capable of punishing your every mistake, you have to be on point. You have to be neat and tidy in your play. You have to find your players. The passes have to be firm, accurate, etc., etc. And at times, that just wasn't the case. So it is frustrating when you see your team seemingly put themselves under pressure. But this is a process in terms of Arsenal developing this game. You watch European football nowadays. Even a lot of the Premier League teams are doing it now as well. And almost every goal kick begins with the two centre-halves sitting alongside the goalkeeper waiting for the short ball. So it is a feature of modern football and we've got to just get used to it. Now, me, like anybody else, there are moments in a game where I look and I think, man, just smash it clear. Get rid of it. Stop putting yourselves under pressure. But that's not the way we're being we're being told to play. It's not the way we're being coached. And it's not the way I expect to see an Arsenal side play uh, moving forward. We're going to have to get used to it. But we, you know, we have to do this properly. Um, you know, we have to do it. We have to do it to a very, very high standard all the time if we're going to if we're going to see the benefits from it you know because at the moment it just feels like we are you know we're doing it but sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't as I said it's part of the process we've just got to deal with it we've got to get used to it um, and uh, see how it goes simple as that really Um, I, I believe in Mikel Arteta I really do I believe in what he's trying to do I believe in um, sort of the the process, as a lot of people call it. I believe that he is the right man to take Arsenal forward. And let's move on to the positives now. And, and, and there are a few, let's be honest. And the first one for me is the fact that I cannot simply remember, you're probably waiting for some amazing tactical point, but this is a really simple one. I, I cannot remember the last time Arsenal were at Anfield in the Premier League and were in a game up until the 85th, 86th minute. I can't remember. So that signifies progress, doesn't it? That Arsenal were competitive for a longer period of time. Normally, at Anfield, Premier League, 20 minutes in with three, four goals down and, and it's a mountain to climb. But Arsenal were, were very much in this game for a very, very long time. Spoken about the Jota goal, spoken about the fact that I felt there was a handball in the build-up to that. Um, it was the 88th minute that that goal went in. So up until the 88th minute, Arsenal were very much in the game. Um, so, yeah, that was that was the main positive for me. Uh, you know, we stayed in the game for a long, long time. Another positive was for all the, the concern around the way we're playing out from the back. Actually, we saw the benefit of it again. We saw it create two of our best opportunities, one of which we took. Slightly fortuitous that the ball broke to Alexander Lacazette, but he took the chance. And then the other one was from Arsenal again, playing out from the back, creating those spaces, dragging Liverpool upfield and playing balls in behind. So that was positive as well. Um, you know, it's Arsenal. The, the the main takeaway from this is, first of all, we were we were fucking robbed by the officials. Second of all, we saw the good and the bad of playing out from the back, and you know. You've got to you've got to weigh that up moving forward, but the reward is clearly valued by Mikel Arteta, and, and it's something that he's he feels is worth the risk. So we're just going to have to persist with that. 
But, you know, yeah, I, I, Mikel Arteta has made Arsenal competitive again. And the way you can tell that is the case is by the fact that I've come on here this morning to do this podcast disappointed. You know, you've also got to remember that this team, and Mikel Arteta said this as well, again, I don't want to take credit for his point, but this team are at the beginning of their journey. You know, Liverpool are four or five years into Jurgen Klopp. And a lot of the same criticisms that you could throw at Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool when he first took over are the same that you can talk about Arsenal. Very good on the transition, taking too many risks at the back, getting caught out, not pressing aggressively enough. These things will come. At the end of the day, Arsenal took on arguably the best side in Europe. You know, bar Bayern Munich, I would probably say at the minute. And were competitive for 88 minutes. And that is progress. That is progress. Yes, it wasn't pretty. Yes, we were defensive. Yes, we were deep. Yes, we didn't have as much of the ball as we'd have liked. But you've got to understand where Arsenal are at. We're not good enough to go to Anfield and go toe-to-toe with Liverpool. We're not good enough to go and take the game to them and think that we can do that and not worry about what we leave behind us. The fact that Mikel Arteta has changed Arsenal into this more robust a defensively sound unit just shows you uh, what his assessment was when he first came in. His assessment was right. We are so bad at the back. We are so poor defensively that we have to address that first. He has addressed that. He's improved us in a number of ways. And as I've said throughout the course of his reign, yes, there will be positives. There will be nights where we come away and we think, yes, Arsenal have turned the corner. There will be weeks where we're brilliant, but there will also be bumps in the road. There will be times where Arsenal are unable uh, to get results against some of the better sides. There will be times where we can't get results against some of the weaker sides as well. That is football. This is the Premier League. Anything can happen. And it's just about recognising and understanding where we're at as a team and and taking that into account when reacting um, to, to results and to performances. Right, just a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you guys by Manscaped.com. If you want to get your uh, body hair uh, in whatever region you wish uh, to look as trim, as neat and as lush as the Emirates Stadium pitch, head over to Manscaped.com. Check out the Lawnmower 3.0. I've got one. Uh, It's fantastic. You can even use it for for your beard if you want. You can use it for your chest hair. You can use it for manscaping, wherever you want, basically. It's a fantastic product. Head over to manscaped.com. And if you do order, use our discount code CHRONICLESAFC, all in capitals. You will get 20% off and free shipping on your order. So it's well worth using it um, if it is something that you are considering. Um, But as I say, uh, I can't tell you enough uh, how good the product is. We'll be doing an unboxing video. I keep saying I'm going to do that. I should have done that last week, um, but I will get it done this week so you guys can see what it is that you get for your money, what is included in the package. And I'd like to thank Manscaped once again for their support of the podcast. Um, Russ says, uh, can you use it for on back hair? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> you can use it for whatever you want, my friend. Um, but it does have anti-ball nicking technology. Is that the one? Yeah, so, but you can use it for your back. You can use it for whatever you want. Check them out, manscaped.com. Right, let's go over to the live chat and take some of you guys' comments. Get your questions in as well. Um, there's a few questions on Twitter, which I'm going to come on to in a second. Um, 
But let's have a quick look at some of your uh, comments in the live chat. Marble Halls TV says, I'm not angry. Liverpool are way better than us and we were competitive. We move on. Get a win versus Sheffield United and we're still up near the top. Agreed. Um, I agree with that. Uh, Morbid Angel, um, a Liverpool fan, I'm assuming, says, when Sabahs came on, you caused us problems. Absolutely. Daddy Sabahs did make a difference. Um, again, I said it right at the top of the programme. I understand why Arteta went the way he did, but it became increasingly evident that we need a player capable of progressing the ball. And I think that I think that Mikel Arteta will learn from that. I think that Mikel Arteta will take that on board. And as much as I back the guy, there are some decisions that he makes that I do scratch my head about and I do wonder whether they're right or wrong. And I'm sure he does as well in hindsight. But hindsight is a wonderful bloody thing, isn't it? Um, big hello to Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Check out the Guns and Yellow Ribbons podcast as well. Uh, big hello to Fergus and the team. He says, Arteta is the best looking Spaniard I know. Um, Todd says... I've heard this, we were competitive. I honestly don't think so. We held on for dear life, which is better than it has been, but we were not competitive. I would disagree with that, Tom. I think when you're there's a goal difference in the game, um, you know, when there's just a goal in it with two minutes of normal time to go, I think you have been competitive. You know, yeah, you might not have had the possession, you may not have dominated the chances, etc. But I do feel like Arsenal were were good enough um, to stay in the game, defensively good enough. Look, let's let's have it right. The Arsenal team of two seasons ago would have conceded eight last night. So there has been some improvement. Is it the type of competitive that you want to see that you expect from a big club? No. You'd like to see us dominate the tempo a little bit more, control the game a little bit more. But let's remember this, right? And a lot of Arsenal fans have been sort of using what happened last night as in, and I'm not saying you are Todd but a lot of Arsenal fans have been using last night's game last night's result to to kick off about the fact that we haven't brought in either Hussein Mawar or Thomas Partey yet we'll look at Chelsea you know Chelsea spent an absolute shitload of money this summer on top top European talent and they've still been unable to to start this season with a bang, I thought they were poor at Brighton and were lucky to get three points there. They got a draw against West Brom. They were 3-0 down, though, at one point, um, which is at half time, which is embarrassing. Um, you know, when they played Liverpool, they were completely dominated for 90 minutes. So if that happens to Chelsea, if Chelsea can't compete with Liverpool at home, having spent an absolute shitload of money. I'm not sure what people expected from Arsenal last night. You know, it, for me, what that just shows is it shows what a good job Mikel Arteta is doing because he's bridging that gap in quality between Arsenal and Liverpool by being tactically astute, by having his team organised, by making his team competitive. And he deserves praise for that for me. I, I, I You know, we lost last night, but I'm not embarrassed. And, and it's been a long time since we went to Anfield in the league and weren't embarrassed. So that has got to be progress. It's got to be a good sign. Um, let's see what else we've got. Um, Isaac says, it's the same problem we had when people were Wenger out. Kroenke's are not funding the club, so we can't compete with the top clubs. Emery was worse than Wenger. Back Arteta and Kroenke needs to spend. Y look, we're going to know a lot in this coming week about whether the Kroenke's are, are serious or not, whether the Kroenke's are in this to, to compete 
or whether they're in this just to to cash their dividends every year. You know, I think most of us probably have a good idea of what that answer is already. Um, but this is an opportunity for them to back the club, back the man. Um, he's shown signs of progress. I, I honestly, and I'll get slated for this, um, but I honestly feel like Mikel Arteta has the potential to be one of the best coaches in world football. I, I genuinely do. I get that aura from him. I get that feeling from him. He is that good. And if we don't back him, it won't be long before a bigger club comes in, has a look at him and, and takes him away from us. It, 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 you know, Arsenal need to show the ambition, the ambition that matches not just that of the players like Pierre-Emerick, Aubameyang, etc., but that matches the ambition of the manager as well, of the boss. And for those of you who have spent the entire evening last night criticising Mikel Arteta, I'll say this. The problem with our fan base is, is a simple one. It feels as though to be an Arsenal fan, you have to be one extreme or the other. And you've got those who wanted Wenger out so badly that they couldn't bear to criticise Unai Emery at all when he did something wrong. There were others like me who I like to think I was in the middle where I did think that Wenger probably... Um, well, I, I did think that it was time for Wenger to move on. But I wasn't going to give Unai Emery a free pass just because of that. Unai Emery was a shit show for me. Unai Emery was crap, a disaster, boring football. Um, and there's boring football the way Mikel Arteta plays it, where it's boring, but it, as a result, you're competitive. And then there's boring football like Unai Emery played, where the football's drab, dull and piss poor on the eye, but you're also not competitive. You still concede a shitload of goals. You still get embarrassed week in, week out. So, yeah, um, you know, I know which one I'd choose. But, yeah, so for me, it was I'm not giving Unai Emery a free pass because of because of the fact that I wanted Wenger to go. But those people now, having backed Unai Emery so much, they can't bear to, to praise Mikel Arteta and they want to find every fault in Mikel Arteta. So, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's all agenda-driven. It's all agenda-driven. That's not every single Arsenal fan. Of course it's not, but... There are a vast majority, and unfortunately, some of those people that I'm talking about, they've got too much of a big voice on some platforms, um, on certain platforms, and they they air those shit opinions, quite frankly. And and look, I'm very much tolerant of other people's opinions. I like to hear other people's perspectives, but there are some opinions that I look at, I disagree with, but I think actually, yeah, you know what, you make some good points. I can understand the logic, much like I was talking about Arteta's decision to pick El Nenny. You know, you can look at something and think, I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I understand why someone else is of that viewpoint and you respect that. And then you just get pure nonsense that gets spouted out on social media, on YouTube, on, on Facebook, on, you know, you name it. So yeah. Um, yeah. That's uh, that's the end of my rant on, on the Arsenal fans. Uh, let's go back to the live comments. Um, let's have a quick look. Um, da -da 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 -da. sorry, just uh, scrolling through. Lots of comments coming in while I was going off on one there. Um, Ewan says, uh, imagine losing to the current Premier League champions and the previous Champions League winners. Disgraceful stuff. Yeah, agreed. The sarcasm there is very much replicated from me, mate. I mean, who expected Arsenal to have gone there and won? That That's the thing, isn't it? Is that level of delusion that creates this... You know, if you, you put them up on a pedestal, then you're going to get knocked down. The reality is we're not at that level. We're nowhere near that level. 
Um, Arsene, who says the game showed that we need both Partey and Awar. Um, I agree. Um, at least one. I, I, as I've said all along, I'm not going to change my stance on this. I, I, I do believe that we're only going to get one of those players between now and the end of the transfer window. Um, Ross asks, do you think Gabriel starting instead of holding may have helped? I'm not entirely sure. And and it's not because, I. first of all, let's let's get it clear. I, I do believe that Gabriel is a better defender than Rob Holding. I'd rather have him in the side than Rob Holding. But when you're asking your defence, your, your three-man defence, essentially to spread out um, and, and asking the wing-backs to then push on so that you can create those angles to play out from the back, I do think that having a left-footed player on that right side is a massive handicap. Is Gabriel going to be confident enough to shift the ball onto his right foot and play the ball wide accurately to find a teammate? Or is he going to be tempted by the fact he's left-footed to keep playing the ball inside and into those dangerous areas? And, and you know, if you're right-footed playing on the right, you have the option of going outside or inside. If you're left-footed playing on the right, it's very difficult to make that pass to the outside without, you know, it being intercepted just because the angle is not quite right. So, again, I probably would have gone with Gabriel and taken that risk and maybe just focused our playing out from the back slightly more on the other side because um, I think it does naturally happen more on the left for us anyway. But I understand, again, why Mikel Arteta felt that holding was the way to go. Um, but, yeah, look, Gabriel, for me, is a better defender. I think there were some instances where Rob Holding made a, a mess of things. Um, I thought... For Liverpool's second goal, I, I don't really want to blame Rob Holding for that one because I feel like maybe Bellerin or Willian were probably more culpable for not following in properly. Bellerin seemed to get sucked into the challenge that Holding went up for. Bellerin, yeah, he, he got sucked into that challenge and then Willian, who was tracking Robertson just a little bit slow, a little bit, you know, he just got caught the wrong side of him. I, I don't want to say that Gabriel being in the side would have would have meant that Arsenal won the game. I'm not going to go as far as to say that. But me personally, if it was down to me, I probably would have gone with Gabriel. But again, I'm saying that in hindsight. And hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, let's see. Uh, Chris TV says, we need five signings to be elite again at Liverpool's level and for Aubameyang to play up top like at Dortmund. And he says that we need a left wing back, a right back and three midfielders. I think everybody knows that Arsenal are not quite, well, not quite. They're not anywhere near Liverpool's level. Let's, let's not be fooled by the fact that we beat them in the community. Sure that we beat them at the Emirates Stadium in a game where essentially they switched off a little bit. They'd already won the league, etc. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think we do need... We do need some uh, some more additions in order to be more competitive. But not only is it about bringing personnel in, it's also about, you know, you've got to weed out the shit from the club. You've got to improve the mentality, which doesn't happen overnight. You've got to change the culture at the club, which again doesn't happen overnight. Jurgen Klopp's taken five years to get Liverpool to this point where they are now the best team in England and one of the best teams in Europe. It's taken a long time to get there. It's also taken heavy investment. You know, people talk about... Man City and complain about Man City and I know Liverpool have, have sold some players and they've done some good business in that sense but they did spend 75 million on Virgil van Dijk they did spend 50 odd million on um on, on Alisson they did spend a big amount on Naby Keita you know they, they have spent money 
They did spend money on Fabinho. You know, they 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 are spending money. They did spend, in my opinion, over the top money on Diego Jota. So they are spending, and and that comes from a combination of things. It comes from. First of all, your owners believing in the process and Jurgen Klopp after a couple of years, although it wasn't quite working out, you could understand where he was going with it and what the goal was. And and the Liverpool guys bought into that. But sometimes you need to do other things behind the scenes to make that possible. And, and that includes selling at the right price. Now, we know Arsenal aren't in a position where we've got a Felipe Coutinho who we could sell for 130 million like they did. So the circumstances are very different. Maybe this process is going to take a little bit longer than Liverpool's did, but you know, it is what it is. We're on the we're on the um, we're on the right path despite the result last night. Uh, John Knott says, um, "Will the loss encourage the club to make the signings that we need?" I am very much of the opinion that the club, uh, Mikel Arteta, is smart enough and clued up enough to be well aware of what Arsenal need, even regardless of what the result was. I don't think yesterday's result will have had an impact on on his plans for this transfer market. I still think it is very much about getting one of Husema Wild, Thomas Partey in. Um, I think seeing Arsenal struggle to progress the ball out yesterday has probably pushed a lot of people into the direction of Awa over Partey. Um, and, you know, we've heard reports that Arsenal going back in with a second bid. So fingers crossed we get that done sooner rather than later. But in answer to your question, I, I think that the transfer strategy, the transfer plan was very much laid out before this game. And I don't think that this result is going to have any impact on that. If anything, it just reinforces the need um, to do the business that Arsenal have already identified. Um, that's my take on that. Um, Tazel says, I think yesterday showed how far away we are from Liverpool. We do need to get the centre midfields in, but it's not all day doom and gloom. I still believe in Arteta. Completely agree. Um, it did show how far away we are. Um, but you're right, it's not all doom and gloom. As I said earlier on in a programme, we were competitive for 88 minutes. 88 minutes. When was the last time Arsenal went to Anfield and were competitive for 88 minutes? You tell me. Uh, Guna Craig podcast, check them out as well. Um, he says, I think it does highlight the need for Partey and Awahari. We lack strength in the middle along with someone to break the press and make a killer pass. Yeah, Mikel Arteta spoke about it, didn't he? Um, he, he spoke about it in the... Um, in the post-match, he spoke about uh, the fact that Arsenal needed to read the situation a little bit better when trying to break the press. And that's absolutely right. And listen, people talk about football as if it's, you know, I, I was talking to my brother yesterday and he sent me a text saying, um, you know, we were discussing the formation, the system, the fact that Maitland-Niles was playing on the left. And we were talking about a, a number of things. And he said to me, what happened to football when it was simple, when people just picked the 4-4-2? The game has changed. The game has moved on so much. There is so much sort of tactical chess playing going on in every single game now. And sometimes as fans, we're a little bit naive to that, I think. Um, and we talk about sort of not trying to play in a certain way. And But, you know, these coaches are... Mikel Arteta is the coach of Arsenal Football Club because he's a fucking good coach. You know, and, and sometimes... We might sit here and think this is crazy or this is nuts, but actually there is a method to it. There is a reason for it. And there's probably something going on that as fans, we we aren't completely aware of and completely clued up to. Um, Tazel also brings up that the handball against Jota. I brought that up earlier on right at the beginning. I had a little bit of a 
rant against the officials. So if you haven't seen the beginning of the podcast, check it out after. Um, but yeah, it looked like a handball to me. And particularly in a weekend where we seem to have seen handballs being given for everything. It just baffles me how that was that was overlooked. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Matt Gray says, our fan base are very reactionary. Agree, mate. Um, it, it does feel like when we win, we're the best team in the world. We're going to win the league. And when we lose, we're the worst thing ever. And Mikel Arteta should be sacked. That is, It's just the two extremes of Arsenal fans. And this is a, 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 an attitude. I don't want to say an attitude. It's a behaviour that has, um, I believe, and I'm not sitting here bashing social media because it's I've made a career from it. So, you know, I'm very fortunate to have done that. I'm one of the lucky ones. It's given me the opportunities to do um, some work that I've always wanted to do. But this is the consequence of social media, this reactionary nature that we seem to see, not just from Arsenal fans, from football fans all over the world. But of course, because we are Arsenal fans, we probably pay a little bit more attention to it. We come across it more often. Um, but yeah, you know, Arsenal fans are, are as reactionary as everyone else. They're too reactionary, in my opinion. And it's something we need to just, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't express your opinions after a game. And, and we do say stuff immediately after a final whistle that we probably would have a different opinion of in hindsight when looking back on it. But yeah, um, it is what it is. It's just the way of the modern world, the modern football fan. Uh, let's pick up a couple more questions uh, before we uh we uh, lock off um there was a really good question about nicolas pepe i just want to pick it up uh where was it bear with me just a second um apologies just uh just having a quick look for it it was something to do with nicolas pepe and whether he's in danger of becoming another lucas Torreira. apologies if i've missed I've missed your name. Um, I did see that. I did read that while I was speaking. But it's the chat has moved on so much that I, I can't find it. Um, what are my thoughts on Nicolas Pepe? It's a hard one. It, it really is a hard one. I, I wasn't overly convinced about Nicolas Pepe when he first came. And I made that point and I got absolutely slaughtered for it. And I think talking about reactionary, I was angry one day and I called him another Jovino. Um, and... You know, there are there are attributes to Nicolas Pepe that I think are really useful that I think we can we can benefit from. But I also look at Nicolas Pepe and I get frustrated with him. And, and last night I wasn't really frustrated for him. Um, for I wasn't really frustrated, sorry, by the, the overall performance of Nicolas Pepe last night. Came on as a substitute. Always difficult in those circumstances. I didn't think he did much wrong. The problem I had was was the corners. My God, the corners. He took two absolutely shit corners that didn't even beat the first man. And we're talking about people who come to Arsenal as renowned set piece takers. And for some reason, the minute they put on an Arsenal shirt, they lose the ability to beat the first man from a corner. It drives me absolutely nuts. And as a centre-back... In the 85th, 86th minute, if you've made your way all the way up the field to, to get on the end of a corner and Nicolas Pepe puts in a shit delivery like that, you know, you must be absolutely livid. And he did it not once, he did it twice. And the third time we got a corner, I think it was Sabayos just said, no, I'm taking it, I'm having it, move. And took it and it was a much better delivery. But, you know, it's 
there are elements of Nicolas Pepe's game that really, really frustrate me. Having said that, though, I also think Nicolas Pepe is one of these people that needs to play week in, week out. He isn't going to come on and impact games often, I don't think. Um, that's not to say he can't and that he won't. But I feel like Nicolas Pepe is suffering from a bit of a lack of confidence at the moment. Not only has he come into this new country and this new club, a new style, and had to contend with all of that. He's now, after one season where he was in and out of the team quite a bit, come into a, a place where Arsenal have gone, you know what, Willian's available, we'll have that. And Willian has, um, Willian has, uh, has taken over the position now. And that must be another kick to the teeth. Um you know, for for someone like Nicolas Pepe. So I've got sympathy for him. I, I still think there is a player in there. I still think there's more to come from him. I still think we'll see more from Nicolas Pepe. I trust Mikel Arteta to get the best out of him. But at the moment, yeah, there are there are reasons to be slightly concerned, I would say, um, about his performance. Uh, Robin says, Harry, let's talk about Bellerin. He was, again, really poor yesterday. Is it time to move him on? <sighs> it's... You know, again, it's a hard one and, and a big hello to, to Kevin Campbell as well, who's joining us, former Arsenal striker. Kevin, welcome. Um, I've got a message you this week. I need to get you on one of these, mate. Um, everyone's asking for you, so I need to get you on whenever it works for you. So I'll drop you a message this week at some point. Um, Kevin says, hi, Harry. Hope you're well. Sort the midfield out and we're a much better side. Bellerin's foul throws are embarrassing, yet nothing is said. You're right about the midfield. Completely agree. Um the the foul throws, that's another thing. You know, it, it drove me mad. That and Pepe's corners, two things that just drove me absolutely crazy uh, yesterday. And, you know, it wasn't just one foul throw from Bellerin. It was two, and it was really, really frustrating. And, you know, that's something you see at Sunday league level, and you don't want to see that at Premier League level. And to do it once, you know, it's a lapse in concentration. Your technique wasn't 100% there. You were in a, a bit of a rush, and you kind of flopped the ball down. But to do it twice is is a disgrace. And um, yeah, let's see. Uh, let's see. Let's see, uh, you know, whether we do manage to get that midfield issue sorted out. Um, because it is so key to the team. It's the, it's the engine room. It's the heartbeat of a football team. And at the moment, we're just lacking something in there. And fingers crossed we get the business done between now and the end of the window so that we can um, we can improve in that department. Right, um, I think that brings us towards the end uh, of this podcast. Uh, it was only supposed to go for half an hour, but as always, great interaction. Went on a bit of a rant, and before you know it, the time has gone. Um, big thank you to everyone in the live chat for joining me. Let me know in the chat just before we lock off um, where you are tuned in from, uh, and I'll give you guys a shout out. Um, also, uh, just a quick reminder of uh, how you can become a patron of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. You can sign up visiting patreon.com forward slash the Chronicles of Aguna. Uh, the link will be in the description. Uh, after this live stream, you'll get access to exclusive content. Uh, priority on the fan show. Priority when submitting questions for our experts and a gift after three months of membership, um, which are now, I'm pleased to say, with me, which means that I'm going to be reaching out to you guys uh, for uh, your addresses uh, for those of you that have been patrons with us for three months, so I can get those sent out to you. Um, apologies again for the delay in that. 
this COVID shit and they were coming from abroad. It just delayed everything. Uh, so a little bit behind, but don't worry, it is being dealt with. And I've got some time this week, so I'll definitely be getting that done. Um, just a quick reminder that tonight at 9 p.m. Uh, UK time, that is, I'll be joined by Adrian Clark. Adrian Clark is back on the show again. Really delighted to have Adrian back on. And I will be getting Adrian's take on the game, which I'm sure will be a lot more analytical, a lot more sensible and a lot more worthwhile listening to than mine. But I hope you've enjoyed this show. Uh, big hello to Omar, who's tuned in from Zanzibar, to Aaron, who's in Perth, Australia. Graham is in Poole. Uh, Guna Craig is in uh, Ireland. Uh, love the way he always dresses up Ireland with some exotic name. Uh, Niall Lewis from upstate New York. Um, uh, Harare from uh, in Zimbabwe, Africa. Sorry, that's where Joe is joining us from. Um, Tazel says, Harry, does the Manscaped kit really work with no cuts? It does. Make Do you know what? Hold on. Stay there. I've got the box right here. Oh, here we go. Hold on. Look how much packaging is in it. Look, it's crazy. You get all these cool things. You get a T-shirt. I might wear it on one of the podcasts, actually. Um, here it is. Just listen to that vibration. Fantastic stuff. That is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. So don't forget, if you haven't already, check out manscaped.com. Use the discount code that is rolling across the bottom of your screen. It's Chronicles AFC in capitals. You'll get 20% off and free shipping. Their grooming ads are the best, as uh, pointed out uh, by Marble Horse TV. Um, uh, what else have we got? Uh, Guda Craig says, my bollocks are intact. Buy it. There you go. Uh, Graham says, will it work on my wife? <laughs> Don't see why not. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, what else have we got here in terms of where you guys are joining us from? Uh, Moosh says, uh, looking very Manscaped, my man. There you go. It's even got a cool light on it. Look at that. Just in case you're trying to get inside the, the nooks and crannies that you can't see, you've got the light. It's incredible stuff. Do check it out. Um, but I'll save the uh, full product review for my uh, unboxing video, which I'll be bringing to you guys a little bit later on this week. Uh, Skynet's joining us from White Hart Lane. Are oh, you poor thing? Uh, <laughs> just joking mate um, thank you for tuning in we'll be back later on tonight with another show until then take care of yourselves try not to be too disappointed Arsenal are on the up there are positive signs we are developing under Mikel Arteta and we go again uh, with another trip to Anfield on Thursday that's all we need until then take care cheers 